0: Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, March 30th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about primary season, especially gubernatorial candidate Jan Morgan, gun protests and policies, a new opioid lawsuit, and Rock Mayor Mark Stotola giving the state of the city address. I'm joined this week by Benjamin Hardy.
1: Hello, Lindsey. Happy Good Friday.
0: Happy Good Friday to you, Benji. Uh, so let's dive right into it Jan Morgan, who's challenging Governor Asa Hutchinson For the Republican nominee for governor uh, Met the media this week, though not us We not re- us. We requested an interview, and is that hanging still?
1: I have not got a response to my email But
0: Ms. Morgan, we would love to talk to you if you're out there listening uh, Anyway, she talked to Democratic Gazette And uh, talked business and politics What'd she say?
1: Yeah, it's not by the Dave Ellswick show, too, too right. as well. Um, well, um, so I mean, there are two things that really stood out to me from, and and again, to be clear, this is all sort of secondhand reporting because um, I I've, I've watched the watched her interviews, read reporting about what she what she said to the paper, but um, haven't had a chance to talk to her myself. I've never uh, spoken to her face to face. But but the things that, that that stood out to me, you know, she's challenging ASA, of course. From the right, and she she's banking on this idea that uh, within the Republican Party, the enthusiasm is still very much on the uh, burn it all down, throw the bums out, anti-establishment wave that that swept Trump into uh, winning the primary in 2016. And uh, you know, Asa is a pretty good foil for that because he's a sort of consummate establishment Republican. Uh, so she's able to paint him as, uh, as you know, as a rhino and as a Republican in name only at, at every turn. And I think there, there is especially among the, the party activist base, um, some that that still really resonates with people. Uh, and 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 so I guess the first point is that the 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 people that she's appealing to are, are interestingly sort of not, um, in my opinion, those core Trump voters um, or at least. Not the, the the kind of classic uh, low lower income um, high school education blue collar um, like independent leaning voters that I think Trump really effectively captured in rural Arkansas and in lots of places like the rural Midwest. I mean, because those 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 voters are are not necessarily you know your longtime GOP party activists, the ones that are showing up at, at county committee meetings and whatnot. They're 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 more sort of uh, lower information. Um, uh more independent leaning people who who are you know who who like Trump's celebrity and like the the uh economic populist message that he that he pushed that really set him apart from um, the GOP field in 2016 in terms of not cutting entitlements and so on um so i mean Morgan's message is is not in, in my hearing of it at least is, it's not targeted towards those people so much as your Tea Party voters I mean you're the people that really came out hard in 2010 against Obamacare and were motivated throughout the Obama years to you know burn Obama in effigy or whatever I mean they're people who are motivated by messages about about low taxes about uh, about fiscal policy in general and I mean Jan Morgan is really emphasizing um, fiscal issues a little somewhat surprisingly for someone who made her name on uh, nationally um, by, by banning Muslims from her, her business in Hot Springs, her gun range. Um, she's focusing on, when talking to, to local media about uh, how awful Arkansas Works is and how the state's taxes are way too high. And you know I think that, that does resonate with um, the sort of people that would turn out in a Republican off-year primary, especially when enthusiasm among the Republican base is kind of low because the President's popularity ratings are so low. Um, so, um, you know, she's, she's, she's talking about Arkansas works. Um, and, and this is the, the second thing that I I noticed in, in reading the coverage about her is how much she, she blames Arkansas works and other issues directly on Asa. I mean, she's, she's, I mean, which isn't surprising in a, in a sense, cause I mean, that's her opponent and she's going to keep the, the focus on him and she's fairly disciplined about doing so. But it's interesting that she, she sometimes carves out some space for other Republican figures. Like she, uh, went out of her way to embrace uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin in her in her talk with Talk Business. She she talked about how uh, she and, and Griffin would be a double dose of fiscal conservatism, the likes of which the state has never seen, or, or something something like that. And
0: she'd take him off the bench too. <laughs>
1: take him out of the attic. Oh. <laughs> she said Asa has has stuffed him in the attic, and she's going to pull him out of the attic. So, um, I mean, the message there, I think, is that is that Asa is a deviation from this. Uh, from from what the the common Republican voter wants, which is a, a more fire breathing message um, of of cutting government back to nothing and um, and also giving people giving activists what they want on social policy, you know. So though she downplayed, I, I would say, well, downplayed is probably the right word, not the right word, but she chose to emphasize fiscal issues. She still, you know, her her right wing message on things like immigration came through. She also slammed ASA on. Um, Helping to defeat the sanctuary city bill or sanctuary campus bill that um, Representative Brant Smith brought to the session in 2017, which would have um, made it life a lot harder for undocumented immigrants on college campuses. So, um, I mean, the question, of course, is you know, will people turn out in the Republican primary there um, there to to vote against ASA? Um, I mean, the money is all would would all say no, but. I mean, um, she's out there campaigning and clearly clearly means it, clearly is in it to win it.
0: Well, I, you talked about the comparison between she and, and Trump. I think the thing that, that made people make that comparison initially is because she has done quite a bit of TV. She has been willing to say um, things that, you know, your traditional politicians who are – uh, abiding by all normal decorum, wouldn't say. Right. Um, ha- has that continued as the campaign has gone on? Have you noticed her willingness to, you know, I mean, a lot of people, sure, economic populism, populism was appealing for Trump, but a lot of people, when when in exit polls or in interviews just said, you know, we liked him because he was going to shake things up. Right. And And she seems to be coming from that same place. Have you seen... Uh, more of her saying kind of kooky things.
1: I mean, not not really to the extent that that you would expect. And that's it's been a little more disciplined than. Uh, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, the 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 reason why this is interesting isn't because Jan Morgan herself is especially interesting. It's just the it's it's the larger question of can this uh bizarro strain of politics that trump harnessed so effectively be translated to these down ballot races i mean is there a new sort of breed of candidate that trump represents or is he just this one-off uh event and um i mean so far nationally i don't think we've seen i mean any other mini trumps uh uh m-i-n-i trumps that is, emerge. Uh, i you know Morgan is eager to embrace the idea of herself as somebody who's carrying the, the Trump flame. But um, I, I don't I mean, yeah, I don't see the 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 same capacity to um, serve as this sort of conduit for the Republican id that, um, you know, that that Trump so effectively does. And I mean, I think that's also why it is notable that she doesn't you know, she she isn't really saying let's. Everyone in the Republican Party is, you know, is a, is a fool and a loser, and uh, I'm the only one that can save you. Which was Trump's message. She's, you know, going out of her way to embrace the lieutenant governor,
0: Bill Bridges.
1: Right. It's the, it's just ASA who she's identifying as as the problem.
0: Okay. Anyhow. Well, let's leave that there and move on to guns. Well,
1: wait a second. Can oh. we talk about the Democratic primary? Right. Sure. Point? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I'm, I had. The um, honor, honor—that's what I'm looking for. Yes, that too, <laughs> of moderating the a debate for the Pulaski County Democrats on Sunday. This was the first of several debates they hope to have, but um, these are down ballot races—race um, for Pulaski County Sheriff, and then two for state house seats. One was District 35 in Little Rock, the other is District 39 in Montell. And District 35 is currently held by Representative Clark Tucker, a Democrat, but he is uh, bowing out to run for the second congressional district race, in which he faces a primary of his own, um, which the party will get to having that debate later in the in the primary season. And then District 39 is Maumel, It's a seat held by Republican Mark Lowry. Um, but it's sort of a measure of the enthusiasm on the Democratic side, uh, not just in central arkansas but statewide and really nationwide that there are two democrats who are who are going head to head in the primary for uh the chance to to take him on in the general and really i mean there's just a, a tremendous number i mean relatively speaking of democrats who are um jumping into the races this year given when you compare it to 2016 when the party struggled to find candidates to run even in in reasonably competitive toss-up districts
0: and who's running for those seats
1: Right, so, so 35, uh, Tucker's seat is Andrew Collins and, and Annie Depper. Um, they are both attorneys, and um, there's also a Republican running in that seat, Judith, Judith Goodson. Um, and again, that's going to be an open seat. Uh, then in District 39, the primary challengers are Monica Ball, who is a retired science teacher, and Joshua Price, who is an entrepreneur who works in the nonprofit sector. Um, for Pulaski County Sheriff, the candidates are, are Eric Higgins, who is a— former assistant chief of the LRPD, and then uh, Carl Minden, who's a major at the sheriff's office right now. Um, so I'm not gonna talk much about the sheriff's seats, uh, but the, I mean, the Statehouse seats are uh, somewhat interesting, and you can find the video of the whole debate online if, you're, if you wanna dig into the, the actual responses of the candidates. I think that I, I didn't really hear a lot of policy differences between them, which isn't a huge surprise in a you know, Statehouse primary election. Uh, there was, I'd say, some substantial difference in tone um, in each of those state house races. There was a candidate, um, I'd say Collins in the District 35 race and Monica Ball in the District 39 race, who sort of seized the more combative stance about, um, you know, we're uh, I really harnessing the, the anger that's out there right now on the Democratic side about wanting to, to challenge the Republican agenda. Um, and you know, their rivals, Annie Depper, uh Joshua Price, I felt were a bit more sort of conciliatory and you know, nodded more towards the idea of working in a red state with with the other side of the aisle. Um you know, um but ultimately in a in a, in primaries like this, so much of it just comes down to name recognition and, and uh who can who can get out of the vote. Sure. All right,
0: well let's let's move on and talk about guns. Uh there was there were massive rallies all across the world on Saturday at uh, the March for Our Lives events. Um, Of course, thousands and thousands in Washington, one of the largest marches, I think, that uh, in the mall, certainly in recent years. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, yet another uh, just really impressive showing from the the Parkland students um, who were understandably getting or deservedly getting credit for sort of reshaping activism and what it looks like among a new generation. right? Uh, but also, you know, I think that you saw an example of that in Little Rock. I wasn't able to attend, but uh, our, our digital strategist, Jordan Little, was there shooting video, and it's all up on Facebook, and I, I watched some of that. And it's just some really impressive kids who, um, you know, were, were clearly talking from the heart, but uh, delivered cogent, inspirational messages. Uh, Wiley Greer was especially uh, impressive. Uh, He's the 17-year-old Greenbrier student who was uh, among the the three who walked out there um, on March 14th when there was the national walkout in solidarity with Parkland, and uh, he was faced with, um with corporal punishment or suspension and and he and and the other students chose corporal punishment um
1: which you know it's still i mean people outside of Arkansas whenever that topic comes up are routinely shocked that corporal punishment even exists within the state, yeah, so I think it just makes makes for a really powerful um image for people outside the state,
0: sure yeah, I mean he and uh he he said we we had it in the paper this week but he said when he forced himself to walk out of school, he did so knowing politicians and adults weren't gonna save me and my friends. They don't. They want us to sit down and shut up, to silently be spectators to our own future. So yeah, we certainly appreciate that, and um, we're gonna try to get Wiley to do some writing for the Arkansas Times. I corresponded a little bit with him. And Is that so? Interesting. Oh, news to me. Um, so there was uh, more gun news. From last night, the Little Rock School District.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, sort of, sort of news, minor news. I think it's the, if there's any action on it, it will happen later in the year. But uh, the uh, Little Rock School District administrator, Ron Self, uh, the director of security, I believe, um, presented a proposal at the request of Superintendent Mike Poor at the community advisory board um, last night. Now. Um, Oh, wait, was that last night? Yeah. Yes. So um, now, remember, Little Rock schools don't have a; it does not have a um, actual elected school board at the moment. Remain; it, the district remains under state takeover. So uh, this is not in the community advisory board's hands. It's really in the education commissioner's hands, uh, who still acts as the school board for the district. But the proposal would would be to arm ten security guards out of um, roughly eighty security personnel at the school um those would include uh four administrators one of which is self um and uh the other four there are also four patrol officers these are uh folks in vehicles that that patrol uh one of four zones within the district um in just uh are sort of on call in case of an emergency and then i think the other the final two would be some sort of investigator position um it should be mentioned there are already 21 armed uh, cops, school resource officers, that are stationed within Little Rock uh, middle and high schools. So you know there's already people with weapons in the schools. Uh, this would just add more personnel who are not uh, certified law enforcement. Um, and if this does move forward, they would become licensed under this sort of alternative track that the legislature established called commissioned school security officers. Now I mean that that was a little controversial when it was set up several years ago, because under that idea, I mean teachers could be also commissioned school security officers um, and some districts have done that, like Clarksville school district last I checked had several teachers who were who were you know possessed that licensure and carried guns uh, that's not what Little Rock is proposing uh Poor made it pretty clear he he opposes that, and the district also did a survey of teachers and parents and students and Everybody said, we don't want teachers to be carrying guns in schools. So that's not really what's on, what is on what is on the table. Um, so they're, they're talking about, again, arming um, secure, a, a number of security personnel who already exist and are now unarmed.
0: Right. Though most of what these security personnel deal with are just disturbances at school. Right, yeah. And so, I, you know, I, as a... A parent, or I think a, f- a future parent of an LRSD student, wrote uh, in a letter to the editor today. You know, who's to say that a gun doesn't come out during a disturbance? Yeah, you I mean, know, and, and
1: I, I think the big concern here is you—it's is, a—it's a risk analysis, it's, it's a cost-benefit analysis when you look at Sacramento or, or you know, any number of places where there have been police shootings of um, principally African-American men. And in a majority black district, if you have ten more people carrying guns, it increases the likelihood that some sort of a misunderstanding or accident is going to lead to something tragic happening and and you weigh that uh, idea against the idea of you know somebody uh, an active shooter situation and and uh, security being able to stop that situation um, i don't know that's 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 a tough call but it's it's definitely a, um, I mean a valid concern that like do we really want um more people with guns walking around in in schools, period.
0: Sure. Uh, so the Arkansas Times devoted a, a big cover story several weeks ago by David Kuhn about efforts by the Association of Arkansas Counties and the Municipal League uh, to sue manufacturers of opioids in federal court. Uh, there was a state suit that was filed maybe last week that was very similar. Um, the, the idea is that that manufacturers, um, you know, were essentially pushers for the drug, right. and that the effects have been devastating for Arkansas. Um, they're seeking things like, um, you know, more money for drug courts and drug treatment, and you know, envision this being like the the tobacco settlement um, that you know gave Arkansas and and other states, millions and millions of dollars right. to do various things with. This week, the Attorney General joined in the fray with a slightly different tact.
1: Right, yeah, so, so uh, Rutledge announced earlier this week that the uh, Attorney General, Leslie Rutledge that is, that, that the state will be suing three pharmaceutical companies, uh, Purdue Pharma, Johnson & Johnson, and Endo, for um, their marketing tactics in, in pushing pushing opioids um, and uh, she is bringing, I think the most interesting part of the suit is is the the Medicaid fraud aspect, and she's she's saying that uh, the state's Medicaid program uh, paid for however many thousands, maybe tens, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, prescriptions that it, it shouldn't have paid for and that it wouldn't have paid for. If these drug companies weren't so aggressively pushing these drugs um, when they knew that their benefits were overstated and their dangers were uh, understated, uh, she's also making a deceptive trade practices act claim that's sort of um, along similar lines, saying that um, that I mean, there's all this evidence within the complaint saying that that. The, that reps for these drug companies, intentionally misled doctors, intentionally misled patients um, in the process about uh, the risks in uh, prescribing opioids. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, I mean, states and, and cities and counties all over the country are trying versions of this, uh, and uh, I, it's all in the very early stages about how these opioid suits will shake out.
0: Okay. Finally, uh, Mayor Mark Strzoda delivered the state of the annual state of the city address. He has two uh, challengers for the November election, so this was maybe a little more political in nature. No, he doesn't. It uh, well, has two people who are exploring uh, challenging him. Uh, So, yeah, it was maybe a little more political in nature. You went and wrote about it. I did. There was an extended uh, water metaphor (laughs) that you wrote about.
1: (laughs) If only um, listeners to this podcast could see, maybe I could instruct them. Take a glass of water, fill it halfway up, ask yourself, is this glass half empty or half full? And then? And then?
0: Answer them. Deliver a
1: 45-minute speech to yourself about the state of affairs in Little Rock. Uh, pose the question again, fill the glass to the brim, hold it aloft and, and tell yourself that this glass is positively brimming with optimism and hope
0: did he did he drink the glass at that? no you
1: no know, he didn 't he didn 't i it's, i don 't know why he didn 't that
0: he probably was parched after forty five <laughs> minutes
1: <laughs> the The tension there yeah why why did he not drink it i don 't know um so so yeah, I mean to so, to clarify, probably all of our listeners understand what's going on here, but but that about the not actually running because of a city ordinance preventing campaigning. What is it? More than five months before an election, um, the 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 challengers who are representative Warwick Saban and and uh, also Frank Scott can't say they're actually running. So they're exploring a run. The mayor himself is also not technically running. He's just. Doing an awful lot of politicking and talking about himself and appearing with uh, people like Mitch Landrieu, who's coming to the city next week, I think. Um, so, um, I mean, point is, like, yeah, everybody's in campaign mode, even though it's March. And um, he he talked. I mean, it's not unusual that this kind of speech should be used to you know talk about his accomplishments and brag on himself. But um, he he really you know seemed to be pushing this very optimistic message. He. Talked a bit about crime and acknowledged that last year was a challenging year when it came to crime. And um, but uh, and he no- noted that it, in 2017, violent crime rose by about 5%. But he says that, you know, at least in the first quarter of this year, it's already down significantly. And the police force has hired a lot of new recruits. So um, a lot of efforts, I think, you know, editorial comment, like with sort of mixed results on uh, in terms of more aggressive policing. But... Um, he, uh, you know, he I think he rightfully put that at the at the top of the list of uh, of, of sort of reviewing the state of the city. Uh, he talked a bit about education, um, uh, a bit, and then quite a bit about jobs and and uh, economic development. He mentioned the Love Little Rock campaign, which he um, was very proud of last year. That was the marketing effort that was sort of a spinoff of Am- the Amazon headquarters search to to try to. Um, sort of garner some free PR for the city um you know i th- it's a good example of how the mayor kind of think kind of comes across or the the city's branding efforts kind of come across to to some people i mean some people saw that campaign as like oh this is very charming and this sort of clever idea that, to um attract attention to the city and then like, other people other people just just winced i mean uh at the just at the sort of I don't know
0: tone deafness,
1: yeah, uh desperation maybe I and um I mean Soto talked about like how you know he mentioned that all the investment in downtown in the so-called creative corridor and um I believe the state his quote was we have created the twenty seven twenty four seven environment that will attract millennials to live and work in our downtown core, which like I mean on the one hand, you know very I think legitimate like. It's great that the city is is putting so much effort into the downtown development and it's exciting the things that are happening down here. And, and on the other hand, I mean, there's not it's not a 24 seven environment down here. And uh, Mid-town. I, mean, I, I think as a millennial, I can speak to I mean, I don't I don't I are don't you see a millennial. A, I am. I am. Yeah. Nineteen eighty five. That's uh, I, I, I think I was I think I'm right in the middle of the demographic. You are, too. Am I? I think so. We, we we can look this up afterwards. Okay. But anyway, I don't see, like, tons of people <laughs> my age flocking to the city. Uh, and it, it's just, like, there's just a gap between rhetoric and reality there that's a little hard to not roll your eyes at, frankly. Um, I think the most interesting concrete thing that he mentioned was infrastructure and um, noted, uh, rightfully so, that, that there's not nearly enough money to meet all of these needs in terms of replacing old water mains or sidewalks or what have you. And he mentioned um, the famed uh, Trump infrastructure push that has yet to really fully materialize. But in the latest uh, budget bill passed by Congress, there is some $20 billion that will be used as matching funds in some way or another. So he expressed hope that Little Rock will be able to um, access those funds uh, through a match in some way or another whenever we know more about uh, what the match will be.
0: Okay, well, let's leave it there and turn to endorsements. What do you got?
1: Oh, I have nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Why don't you go first, Lindsay? Okay,
0: well, uh, I will endorse. So Mark Mark Bittman is a food writer that I enjoy, and his recipes are consistently good, I think. Um, uh, and, and his sort of just general ethos that you should, uh, you know, eat mostly plants and whole grains and... Um, not go crazy with red meat and try to eat fish. And I don't, you know, I think he's smart and I generally like his writing. He's now at New York Magazine and is doing regular features for them. And he and a, a scientist whose name I don't remember did a and a with a reporter um, who was very much just sort of trying to be regular guy, ask healthy eating questions. And much of it was stuff that I, I knew or had heard before, but it was fun to read about lentils and biomes and um, you know antioxidants mm-hmm. and uh, so I I would recommend looking that up if you care about healthy eating.
1: Yeah, Mark Bittman's great. I mean, I I really like his the sort of way he uh, has philosophically tried to thread this needle about. Eating less meat is is a good thing. Does it? But it doesn't mean you have to go full on vegan.
0: He's not a scold. Yeah, he he he's the proponent of the VB six diet that I sometimes do. I have no idea what that means. Uh, vegan before six. It's just I like see. vegan for breakfast <laughs> and <laughs> and lunch, and then uh, eat whatever you want at <laughs> it Okay. It's not ethically grounded. Uh-huh. Well, sort of, I guess. Well, what not. is these yeah. days? True. Um.
1: Okay, well, this isn't really an endorsement exactly, but I will say, I want to mention something I read in the news today I was really excited about. Um, So a few months ago, I read this book by uh, one of my favorite writers, Elizabeth Colbert, uh, called The Sixth Extinction. uh, Super depressing book. As you can guess, it's all about how um, we human beings are probably responsible for this ongoing mass extinction event happening on Earth right now. There have been five mass extinctions throughout Earth's history, we know from looking at the fossil record, um, the dinosaurs being the you know most famous. But I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh anyway, so the book's about, you know, it's documenting um the the decline of all of these different species and, and different ways in which humans are are responsible directly or indirectly for for their deaths. And um it's it's a really great piece of writing. It's a great book, but you know, like I said, pretty Kind of a downer to read at times. Well, she, one of the things she talks about is uh, the decline of frogs and other amphibians, and specifically these, this one species of Panamanian golden frog. She goes into great depth about sort of heroic efforts that scientists have gone to to save these these frogs and how sort of doomed they nonetheless seem to be. Well, I read this article today in the New York Times about how that that species is rebounding, or at least um, f- frogs in that part of the world are are rebounding unexpectedly. And the reason seems to be that, I mean, ev- just evolution. That that um, what caused their decline was this this fungus um, that has spread from other continents to Central America because of humans. And um, they are there's early hopeful signs that some of the some frogs and other amphibians are gaining resistance very quickly to this fungus because uh, evolution works like that. Hope. That's right. <laughs>
0: that's what this podcast is all about (laughs) thanks for listening subscribe via iTunes or your favorite other podcast outlet and check out our other podcast No Small Talk with um, Stephanie Smittle and Amaya, what's Amaya's last name? Jones Jones. Yeah. Uh, and um, Matt Price with The Conversation Uh, he's got Gwen uh, Moritz of Arkansas Business on this week and next week is Max Brantley talking about the newspaper war. So Ooh, stay tuned. Don't miss that. Yeah. He's talking about it even though he's on a cruise somewhere in wow, Singapore. technology. It's yeah, incredible. It really is. All right. We'll be back with you. Bye. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.